Hi everyone, welcome to Bad Apple. I'm Helen. And I'm Riley. The disappearance and rescue of Cleo Smith has been a huge story in Australia and globally lately. And Riley and I have been following closely in order to bring you the story as soon as we could, as up until recently, it was still developing and unsolved. Definitely in our time as young adults, one of the most, if not the most covered and prolific missing child cases in the last few years. We were talking about how the last one before this was probably William Tyrrell. Yes, and that was seven years ago. Yes, that was a while ago and it remains unsolved. And we've done an episode about it. Mm-hmm. The sensationalism of this case has brought up important social commentary on the disparities of coverage for other missing children, especially Indigenous children. We will talk about this after we go through this case, as well as cover the case of another missing child, which is current and still developing, but has gone under the radar. Four-year-old Cleo Smith, her mother Ellie, stepdad Jake, and baby sister Isla live in Carnarvon, a small town on the coast of Western Australia. Carnarvon is located near the mouth of the Gascoyne River and is surrounded by quintessential Australian landscapes, rugged coastlines, blue oceans and pristine rock pools. Just 75 kilometres north of Carnarvon is one of these spots, known to locals as the Blowholes, and is a popular camping spot for Carnarvon residents. On Friday the 15th of October 2021, on their first camping trip since Isla's birth, Cleo and her family travelled to the Blowholes campground. The campground is located on Blowholes Road, which is located amongst rugged coastal scrubland and salt flats. Surrounding the area is essentially just flat and dry country land with thick, low vegetation. They arrived at around 6.30pm and set up their tent just before dark. The tent consisted of two rooms separated by a divider. Cleo and her sister Isla would sleep in one room, and parents Ellie and Jake in the other. The family then ate dinner together, and Cleo went to bed around 8pm. A little later, the rest of the family also settled down in the tent. We used to go camping, not a lot, but a little bit when I was a kid. And we had like this three room tent. Yeah. And when I was a kid, I thought it was just the sickest thing ever. I was like, this is a house, but a tent. <laughs> like, and because you're a kid, you can just like run through tents. Like you don't need to bend down for you're the not doors. Too tall. So I was just running like yeah. up and down this tent. And I thought it was the coolest thing I've ever been in. Well, there's only like your mom and your dad and you. So what was the third room for? Just a common room. I don't know. Yeah, it was like a a lounge. (laughs) That's cool. That's pretty cool. Around 1.30am, Cleo woke up and woke her mum up to ask for some water. Ellie got some water for Cleo and also checked on baby Isla, who was still sleeping soundly. After this, Ellie and Cleo went back to sleep. When Ellie was woken up next, it was 6am and Isla was wanting to be fed. Ellie opened the divider of the tent noticed that the door of the tent was open and that Cleo was gone. Immediately, Ellie knew something was seriously wrong. Her intuition told her that Cleo hadn't just wandered off. She knew her daughter wouldn't do that. Further, Cleo's sleeping bag was also missing and the zipper of the tent was open far higher than Cleo could reach. Initially, Ellie and Jake searched the campsite, hoping that Cleo had just wandered off. Having grown up in the area themselves, the pair searched all the places that they used to hide as kids but Cleo was nowhere to be found. Realising that time was slipping away, they called the police. By 7.10am, police arrived at the Blowholes campsite, but the weather was not in their favour, with rain potentially washing away critical forensic evidence. With such an expansive area to cover, police called in SES volunteers, Australian Defence Force personnel, and Marine Search and Rescue volunteers. This doesn't always happen immediately for a missing child, 
perhaps the remoteness or the geographical factors of the area meant that they needed to call in all of these different people. But mm. this definitely doesn't, this isn't normal missing child protocol, I would say. Mm. By 8.34am, the one road in and out of Blowhole campsite was shut. The large-scale investigation that followed saw the WA police and community throwing everything they had into the search. SES volunteers spent two days combing through the grounds near the campsite, and mounted police were brought in to search harder-to-reach areas. Helicopters and drones did aerial searches while marine search and rescue volunteers checked nearby waters. CCTV footage from nearby petrol stations were inspected, and everybody at the campsite was interviewed and asked for DNA samples. Anyone with dashcam footage from areas up to eight hours away was asked to hand it in, and police also spoke to and interviewed registered sex offenders in the wider Carnarvon area. The police were working with two theories, either that Cleo had wandered off on her own, or that she had been abducted. As time went on, and with Cleo still not found, the theory that she had been abducted started to take pace. On the following Thursday, six days after Cleo disappeared, Detective Superintendent Rod Wilde from the Major Crime Division made an announcement. He said, quote, Given the information we have gleaned from the scene, the fact the search has gone on for this period of time, that leads us to believe she was taken from the tent. Soon after, a 180-person team, Task Force Rodea, was established to investigate Cleo's disappearance, and the West Australian government offered a $1 million reward for any information which led to Cleo being found, or to the arrest or conviction of anyone involved in her disappearance. Police also collected more than 50 cubic metres of rubbish from roadside bins and transported it to Perth, where 24 people spent two days sorting through it for any information that might assist the investigation. Nothing of significance was found. On Sunday, a new lead came through. Two people had been driving along the northwest coastal highway for work on the Saturday morning that Cleo disappeared. As they passed the blowhole turnoff, they caught a glimpse of a car. The car was a passenger vehicle, like a sedan or a wagon. Despite this lead, a week later, the driver had still not come forward. It had now been two weeks since Cleo had gone missing. As the 17th day came and went, the investigation finally put together the final piece they were looking for, a house in Carnarvon, just a few kilometres away from Cleo's home. It's not public what exactly led them to this house, but evidently enough for them to pursue this lead. Officers broke into the locked house in the early hours of Wednesday the 3rd of November and found a blonde little girl sitting alone in one of the rooms. When they asked her who she was, this is what happened. Come here. I've got you, Bobby. What's your name? You're all right. What's your name? What's your name, sweetheart? Um, my name is Cleo. Soon after being rescued, Cleo was reunited with family and taken to the hospital. Assistant Commissioner Cole Blanche said she was, quote, physically okay and was getting the best of care. She was back at home with her family by that afternoon. Around the same time, the man accused of abducting her was arrested on a nearby street. 36-year-old Terence Kelly was taken to hospital on both Wednesday and Thursday afternoon due to reported self-inflicted injuries suffered in police custody. Amongst existing media commotion surrounding the investigation, media outlet Seven News initially published the name and image of another Indigenous man from Carnarvon, Terence Flowers. Initially, it was social media sleuths who began sharing images of Mr. Flowers, before mainstream outlet Seven News published the images and named Mr. Flowers as the man who kidnapped Cleo. Mr. Flowers faced death threats and had to be admitted to hospital after suffering a panic attack. 
He wants the media to be more accountable for what they post, and has shared initial plans to sue Seven News. I'm not sure what he's intending to sue Seven News for. Potentially defamation? Potentially some kind of damages for, yeah, having to go to hospital, that kind of mental harm. But I'm not sure if that that's going to be an expensive avenue for him. Mm. And I think... Something tells me Seven News has their asses covered. Yes. So I hope they have issued an apology. I don't think that's enough. Mm. I hope that there's some kind of reparations in the works for Mr. Flowers. The actual offender, Terence Kelly, appeared in Carnarvon Magistrates Court on Thursday afternoon, barefoot and wearing a black t-shirt. After lashing out at the media attending the public court, he did not enter a plea and will face court again next month. Kelly had no relations to Cleo's family and allegedly acted alone. Kelly was an Indigenous man who was well-connected within the Carnarvon community, having been raised by well-respected Indigenous woman Penny Walker. When Kelly was two years old, His mother abandoned him and he was taken into the care of Miss Walker, who raised him alongside her two grandsons. Miss Walker was part of the Stolen Generation and endured physical violence and sexual abuse at the Moore River Native Settlement and New Norcia Mission. She was also later a victim of domestic violence. Miss Walker and Kelly lived together in a house in Carnarvon, but when Miss Walker passed away in 2020, Kelly was left living alone and locals say he became increasingly withdrawn. In 2021, Kelly began sharing posts on a social media account about his family, claiming that he had five children, and sharing photos of young children with captions such as, quote, my princess, and, quote, my son in Western Australia, miss you big boy. He also had a social media account under the name Bratz DeLuca, where he showed off a large collection of Bratz dolls, as well as posting a photo of him posing in a Bratz t-shirt. These dolls, along with pencils and crayons and other evidence, was seized from his property by forensic officers. He also informed a tradie who visited his property that he lived there with his daughter, but he had lived there alone. One of the boys who was raised with Kelly, who refers to himself as his cousin, has shared details about the relationship between Kelly and Miss Walker, saying, quote, They were very close. She was the only thing that he had. Eventually she passed away, and I think that shattered him. He was lonely. His behaviour changed. He just kept locking himself in the house. On October 19th, the day after Cleo went missing, another man who identifies as Kelly's cousin saw him at the shops and was surprised at how friendly he was. However, he said that Kelly had told him that they, quote, have to stick together now, which he didn't understand at the time. Terence Kelly is a man with a deep and complex social history. While this doesn't excuse his behaviour, things must be put into context. The investigation into Cleo's disappearance was extremely resource-intensive, and it's not that it shouldn't have been, or that it wasn't worth all those resources to find her, but it's raised some questions about why the same resources aren't given to all missing children's cases, particularly in cases of missing Indigenous children. We obviously don't know Cleo's background, but she definitely has what can be described as Caucasian features, such as blonde hair and blue eyes. Many commentators have rightly identified that cases about missing and murdered Indigenous children don't receive enough public attention in comparison, and therefore have less chance of being resolved. One reason is that these cases aren't viewed as newsworthy by mainstream media. Even if you think about the missing children that we've covered on this podcast, William Tyrrell, Samantha Knight, and Joanne Ratcliffe and Kirsty Gordon from the Adelaide Oval Abductions, They all present similarly, as in they're Caucasian or they have Caucasian features. 
so we could definitely do better as well. But we rely on information that's already in the media, or what has been released by police. Without which, there's nothing to sleuth, or do any detective work for, or report on. Yeah, maybe if we had resources, like some newspapers with their podcasts, and they have huge budgets to do investigative journalism, yeah, we might be able to look into things a bit more. But without that, we're just relying on what's already out there. Mm. Cleo's disappearance and subsequent retrieval was the perfect formula of crime reporting. Dr. Sarah Wayland, a senior lecturer in social work at the University of New England, has spoken about the coverage, saying, quote, There's a cute little girl. We can imagine what it would be like to have lost her, and we can also imagine how vulnerable she is because of her age, so we can connect with it. It buys into the mysticism and intrigue and romanticism of Australia and its wildness and how people can vanish without a trace from these locations. She also said, quote, These narratives already exist in people's heads. The real facts of the case can connect with the story that's already there. We can't deny the sensationalism in the aftermath of Cleo being found. Her and her family have been through an extremely traumatic time, and we don't even know the extent of Cleo's condition or what happened to her during the time she was missing. And instead of being afforded privacy to heal and go through the necessary medical and legal procedures, they were being paraded around by the Western Australia police. And they are desperate for an ounce of good publicity. Mm. Especially after the last two years. Australia is somewhat of a police state. You're right. They've been seen as the bad guy for a really long time. Yeah. And they need to win back some public affection. Officers admitted to weeping at Cleo's discovery, saying they wanted to, quote, take turns cuddling her after she was found. WA Premier Mark McGowan travelled 900 kilometres from Perth to Carnarvon to visit the family and gift Cleo with two teddy bears dressed in police uniform. That whole situation made me really uncomfortable, firstly for Cleo and her family, who were being, I guess, scapegoated into being the poster family for WA Police, and secondly, for all the families who have lost children who haven't had this amount of support. Imagine if our boy Mark flew to every family who had their child found and delivered two bears in police uniform. Exactly. 99% of missing persons cases resolve. Yeah. And there's 38,000 missing people, not all in Western Australia, obviously, but yeah. In the small town of Carnarvon, where 18% of the population are Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander, this would have hit particularly close to home. Indigenous children are extremely overrepresented in statistics relating to missing children and abductions. Almost 20% of missing children between 13 and 17 are Indigenous. Despite this, these cases are almost never picked up by the mainstream media. For those who don't live in Australia, only around 3% of the total population is Indigenous. So they're, I guess, almost seven times more likely to go missing. Rumble and South Sea Islander woman Amy McGuire spoke out about media accountability when it comes to reporting cases involving Indigenous people. She said, quote, These are really complicated cases that aren't seen as newsworthy because the media aren't actually looking at issues like child protection. The media is not following up these cases because they're not seen as cases that are going to grip the nation. A current missing persons case from Western Australia in 2020 illustrates this perfectly. On the 3rd of December... 14-year-old Indigenous boy Tristan Frank went missing near Balgo, an Indigenous community in Western Australia. Tristan lives in a community in the Northern Territory, but stopped in Balgo to stay with relatives while his grandparents travelled further west to attend a funeral. Balgo is extremely remote and flanked by the Tanami and Great Sandy Deserts. The terrain is rugged, 
with red dirt, low spinifex scrub, waterholes, gullies, and rocky outcrops. The initial search for Tristan was thorough, with a search and rescue plane and motion detection drones sent to the area, as well as local volunteers and state emergency services. However, the media coverage wasn't the same. Even though Balgo is in Western Australia, it was the Northern Territory Police who put out a plea for information through their social media channels. In one of the few articles written about this case from January 2021, the same discrepancies about coverage were identified by Lauren O'Keefe from the Missing Persons Advocacy Network, who says that geography and ethnicity can affect how much public engagement there is in a case. She also notes, quote, When the search comes to an end, it does fall on the family and local community to maintain the awareness and the searching, and it can be a really overwhelming burden. For a community like Balgo, with 350 residents, this is near impossible. Members from the community are reluctant to speak with the media about Tristan's disappearance, and family members have also declined to comment. There are several working theories around Tristan's disappearance, including that he had hitched a ride back to the Northern Territory, or that he'd become disoriented in the heat of the desert. Tristan is described as 160 centimetres tall, with a slight build, dark brown hair, and dark coloured eyes. Anyone who believes they have information about his whereabouts should contact police on 131444. I will admit, I was absolutely shocked when they found Cleo. Yeah. I really had written it off mm. in my mind. Especially with the amount of time that had elapsed, you know? Yeah, and just the area, like, right on the edge of the water. Mm. And it's so vast in Western Australia, like, you can go so far away and it's remote, and no one can see you, and so I guess, sure, the police did do a good job. I feel like it is important to note, like, they did come to the house from their own investigation. There were reports of, like, neighbours kind of seeing Kelly, like, buying children's nappies and only leaving the house during dark and that kind of stuff, but that only came out after, like, he was taken into custody. So, yeah, the police kind of ended up there on their own work. Mm. So, great. But that's also their job. That is their job. <laughs> to investigate. Exactly. And so. to do get things right. Yeah. That's their job. Instead, they just turned it into this, like, self-promotion. Yeah, like, posting that pic from her in hospital after, like, finding her. That iconic picture, which is holding a Zupa Dupa. All very strange. Yeah. And you can just see how it... It's like, we did it. Yeah. We found her. Mm. Woo. We did it. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, in saying that... Obviously very happy that she was found. Mm. Happy that this story had a happy ending for the Smith family. But obviously there's still a lot of families out there waiting for their happy ending as well. Waiting for their kids to come back or waiting to find out what happened to them. So I was truly shocked beyond her being found that she physically seemed okay. Mm -hmm. I feel like what happened to her during that time is still yet to come out or if it ever will is a good question. Mm Mm-hmm. But, like, yeah, at least when she was rescued, like, she was smiling and playing with toys and, like... Yeah. Outwardly. Yeah. Seemed all right. Which, you know, after the offender was named, I witnessed, like, around me so much quick and instant just disgust Mm. at this man because he was a man that took a child. Mm -hmm. Disgust of, like, the whole dolls thing. Mm -hmm. Buying nappies. Like, ill, did he want to take care of her? Mm. He was not mentally well. Yeah, obviously his the loss of his mother figure had affected him really deeply. Obviously there was a lot of generational trauma that he was carrying. Yeah. And we don't know anything about like 
yeah, his mental state. We don't know anything like that. Yeah. And yeah, also like the social context of where he lived. And obviously not to cast aspersions, like we don't know what happened during the time she was away from her family. But obviously her like baseline human needs were being met. Yeah, 18 days, like she mm-hmm. was alive. She was obviously fed mm-hmm. and given water and mm-hmm. like not neglected. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not to discount what happened. Obviously, we're not saying, like, any of this excuses what he did. I think a lot of that, like, quick, immediate response from people has also, I guess, had a more prominent effect in the Carnarvon community, which does have a very high population of Indigenous Australians. Mm. And I think within that community, there's already been some, like, racial abuse or racial tensions between the Indigenous community and the non-Indigenous community. Yeah. And that's just so unfortunate. And I hope that powers that be in that area, Indigenous leaders, other community leaders can come together and, I guess, kind of put a lid on that situation. And hopefully the people of Carnarvon can have compassion for each other. Mm. Yeah. So I'd say the only two things, like, left trailing from this is, like, police are, like, further investigating whether this man did act alone if he had a second person involved and what happened during the 18 days in detail and then yeah like what he will plead with and what he will be sentenced with Mm. yeah but you know i'm sure that will appear in the media it will it will be everywhere it'll be everywhere you don't need us to cover that probably not you'll hear about it you'll definitely hear about it and hopefully we start to hear a little bit more about other children as well yeah but i guess for now like thank god that Cleo is safe and at home and that was the best outcome we could have hoped for and a lot of people were involved and helped so well done everyone very true yeah credit where credit's due yep yeah that's all we have so far for this case yeah thanks for tuning in to our most live coverage yet yeah we're on the ground for this one (laughs) yeah we're amongst it yeah we hope you enjoyed this episode feel free to let us know what you thought leave a review and join us next time See you then. Bye. Bye.